Hi guys, welcome to Stars and Startups podcast with me, Varun Bhumidi. Regulation is probably one of those things that um, is one of the main aspects of banking, right? And that has been used as an excuse for the experience being poor, banks saying, you know what, we can't do certain things and so on. But a lot of them is changing. A lot of that is changing because of, uh, you know, I think um, in India, we call it the India stack. We have video uh, KYC, we have digital lockers and so on. But this business of making it simpler is uh, being called reg tech or regulation technology, which is making things easier. And one of those companies that's actually enabling uh, the adoption of reg tech uh, is Sciency. Uh, we have the founder, one of the co-founders of Sciency uh, with us today. Uh, say hi to Ankit. Hi, Ankit. Welcome to the show. Hey, Varun. Good to be on your show. It's not an enviable position, right, to be, uh, you know, trying to talk to large players, especially who've been doing these things so for such a long time, and telling them, hey, you can actually do this better, right? And they're probably seeing a couple of young guys show up and say, you know, what have you been doing for 50 years? It doesn't make any sense. Uh, how, how, did you, how did you choose to want to be here? Uh, actually, I mean, somehow my experience of enterprise and working with enterprise software was like, I mean, man, things can't be so bad, right? Like I was like, I was working for City, I remember, uh, as part of SX Lake in 2011-12 and I was like, I mean, their chairs probably cost more than my uh, monthly salary and still their, you know, systems look so shitty and I was like, and they have all these problems which are like so ridiculous. Like how can you have system problems which are so ridiculous? I think I think that was the starting point in some ways where I thought, I mean, yeah, people talk about problems for consumers, problems for mm-hmm. agriculture, you know, bottom of the pyramid. And I was like, I mean, there is this huge uh, crocodile-like problem inside enterprises. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that is, uh, you can say in some ways a seed, right? So my first startup, Crosslink Data Analytics, was also about enterprises trying to solve, uh, uh, you know, data analytics uh, related. We work with Access, Benetton. Um, and I think when we came to Sciency, we were trying to solve uh, compliance and risk problems for businesses, both small and enterprise. Uh, but I think given that there was this internal, I guess, um, strong conviction that there is this huge crocodile inside enterprises, maybe... We naturally just moved that side. I think there was a point where we had two ways, right? One was a DocuSign-like way that we could have become uh, for right. a, a horizontal product for a lot of organizations or, you know, become very, very specialized for financial services. And I think, of course, the RegTech world didn't even exist when we were, I think, on that crossroad. <laughs> but I guess today, what we're trying to essentially do is make the regulatory and compliance part of enterprise business simple. And of course, it doesn't look exciting from outside, but I guess somehow that experience of city just, I think, gave me this immense, uh, you know, immense conviction that there is this huge problem to be solved inside enterprises. It's it's important that we look at this from a from a lens of saying, you know, what these are unsexy businesses, right? And and for you know, uh, future startup founders or those who are looking to start. Uh, I think it's important to say, you know what, there are a lot of business opportunities in things that are not, uh, you know, so visible, right? Because a lot of times, you know, I think everybody, and that probably includes you and me, we have like this one dish that we've tried and we're like, yeah, I need to open a restaurant <laughs> and I can do this better. Yeah, yeah. Right? I think everyone hey, wants to open a restaurant. Everybody, right? Without, without fail. But that's something because you interact with so regularly and you're seeing it to be done better, right? And that's what most startups are about, right? You experience something, you're like, man, this shouldn't exist this way. And for those who go after problems that very few people interact with from a, uh, you know, in your case, a regulatory standpoint, uh, looking at the insides of a bank or uh, something else, you're like, man, this could be done better. And, and there are very few of them. And a few, much fewer go on to solve them. Right. Um, from your standpoint and your, you know, 
probably as part of science you're talking to folks who've been in the bank for 15 years 20 years they're you know what some people call lifers in the bank uh, how do you educate them what's the process that you know somebody uh, you know who's got a startup 6 7 months into the business uh, and you're educating this guy on hey why you should change a certain process what is that process like Yeah, I think that's a very important question. I think uh, we have made our mistakes in that process. I think essentially, uh, you, we have to understand that somebody inside a bank, a he's not a fool. Uh, B, he of course understands banking much better than you, uh, because he's been there for fifteen, twenty years. Uh, the only probably uh, you know area where where he's not as aware is a technology. and b he's from his day to day unable to reimagine using that technology like of course if you bring out something which exactly solves this problem uh he would be the first one to say or he or she would be the first one to say oh this exactly works for me but what you cannot do is say i have this great ai engine and say i have this great ai engine and it can be used for 200 things and when this person tells you their problem you say yeah yeah my ai product will work right that doesn't do because you have to bridge that gap you have to bridge the gap from technology to really solving a problem and uh, at least visualizing a solution for him, uh, which exactly solves his day to day problem so i think that was our you can say uh, you know big leap that we started uh, creating these demos which uh, we kind of showed them you do this in this 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 way and let me take you through a demo of how it can be done uh, that is when they say oh yeah this is exactly what what i want they don't care whether internally there is ai or blockchain or api or whatever they they don't care about that a terminology they do not care about what technology goes inside machine learning dl nobody no uh, you know banker would really care what they care is their current problem how are you solving it and if you really visualize it i think it's very straightforward like the big leap for us has been able to learn banking enough to kind of visualize it because i remember uh, early in the journey uh, of sanjira you know fascinated and seen uh, from the early days you were using the word blockchain quite a bit that was uh, i believe in 2015 2016 you know where you were using the word blockchain that's what you were pitching to the banks and uh, in the early days right and and what you're saying is that once i stop saying blockchain and i start solving a problem things started to move along is that what happened uh i think yes and no right so primarily as science the most important technology for us is actually document automation and which of course has nothing to do with blockchain as is uh but i think the reason why we a had blockchain and then we ditched blockchain is that a i think we were talking about things equally but i think the media agencies had a, a love for the term uh which of course meant that to the outside world uh you know you would be far more covered for the term that you know media wants to kind of propagate and uh, the reason i think we kind of actually today whenever we get a request also to give a quote in blockchain we actually refuse because we want to kind of dissociate in some ways from that word uh, but the reason we decided to dissociate i think is largely to do with a us understanding that blockchain cannot have an internal banking use case so within a bank blockchain has very low use case it makes a lot of sense uh, you know when you are working across multiple organizations and we felt it is too early uh from a real usage point of view in enterprise software blockchain but from a hype point of view it is like at its hype cycle so people started discounting you and saying that you don't understand what you're saying because you're using the word blockchain it means and we realized that today it cannot be adopted by enterprises because it requires a uh you know gestation period of where multiple organizations are ready with it and then they cross pollinate and they start you know uh using that data but i mean there was no value directly to an organization so all these sells about i mean my blockchain product for your organization it makes no sense 
it absolutely makes no sense so i think that learning for us you know kind of taught us that you know the more we use this word the less credibility we'll have i've never heard that take before but uh, i'm 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 glad that you know uh, you guys just focused on selling what the banks and and the services wanted um in in today's context because a lot of your clients are in the the bfsi banking financial services and insurance uh, segments was it that a lot of them were not able to create a lot of uh, services inside of the bank that they had to work with uh, a company like sinzi or that sinzi was able to solve it at scale uh, for probably a fraction of the cost that they would have spent to do certain things working with a large player like a tcs or infosys where they have large contracts with um what is that uh, process uh, like when you were uh, working with these guys yeah it is the second one that we productize essentially a horizontal problem uh, which every bank was going out and building custom for themselves like we uh, can put it in very similar ways as building a website right for the longest time everyone was building custom websites using html and css till wordpress you know became a thing and then every or at least 80% of the people said you know my needs are not so unique that i need to build a custom website my needs fall within wordpress and its templates and hence i will use wordpress as my engine so i think that is uh, you know akin to what sinzi is right like uh, there is no need to build a custom regtech for yourself because a regtech by definition is something which the regulator centrally wants there is no unique need right as such so i think that's uh, why it is not prudent for a bank to of course they can build it themselves but it's not prudent for a bank from quality of the product and cost point of view to build it themselves it makes far more sense to you know go to an expert that expert would a have learned from multiple banks b would have lowered the cost and c would keep maintaining it for you know the eternity but by maintaining so you are also saying that it gets better over time because you are constantly improving the platform itself and not for a bank or a tool or a product exactly what is the uh, sinzi today uh, and you know how is it evolved because you are saying now that you are creating a wordpress and using the word wordpress that means it's kind of modular kind of fits together uh, does different things based on what they want so uh, but what is it yeah. that you are solving yeah no no i think uh, good good uh, i think you caught that one well i think we only started out we started out our first version was actually a um, you can think saas platform right uh, more like uh, any of the saas platforms and we at that time were not targeting enterprises per se we were targeting smaller uh, organizations uh, so of course i think the first break in our journey was that we kind of understood that we have to focus on financial services and focus on the compliance and risk problem within financial services because that seems to be a a big opportunity and also our background was such that we can go deeper into the problem versus going more horizontal and solving something uh, at that time uh, then we moved from a saas platform to a api microservices based platform because a lot of the customers said that you have a platform and these things work for me but i will never let my customer go to your platform and to be very frank like uh, before this uh, also i had worked in enterprise and we had very less idea of what is an api you know uh, how all these things happen of course we could have been smarter like if we had more knowledge we could have you know cut short our learning cycles but um we moved from a saas platform to apis uh, i think within 7 8 months uh, that we realized nobody will use our platform uh, nobody would want their customer to go from their you know interface to our interface just just to do kyc or contract signing and i think that was the first big movement uh, for i think till 2019 uh, more or less uh, we were uh, churning out microservices more and more today we have over 240 such apis microservices like fintech like fintech related uh, but in 2018 19 we had a realization of sorts that when we go and show the customers a sample app using our microservices it looks really good and the business guy says this is exactly what i want 
but when their teams start integrating and microservices and building their journeys they have journeys improve a little bit but they still remain like on a shitty scale if they were zero i mean they've come to four right they've not reached nine uh, the goodness scale they're they're still in the you know shitty scale so i think that realization uh, also we had this uh, kind of wordpress like thinking that you know actually what our customers are wanting or should be wanting is actually a wordpress mm-hmm. i mean they do have needs but they are not unique it's like my branding color i want my logo uh, those kind of stuff and so that is when we started building out a no code platform for building your customer acquisition journeys and today of course you know sciences platform you can build customer acquisition journeys for uh, you know diy like the customer is coming to a url you have given on web or mobile or he is coming through an rm so rm white labeled app a back operations uh, you know portal uh, regulator portal audit portal like all the all the stuff that the bank needs end to end to kind of complete their customer acquisition um, at the point of kyc so today of course uh, we have both microservices so if you don't want the stack you can take microservices if you don't want microservices you can take a full customer acquisition stack which is white label a lot of the products you are talking about uh, and the stack does a regulator get involved in this um, do you have to have a blessing of a regulator or this is independent of of that because there are already rules that the regulator set and you are basically complying uh, to that yeah i mean regulator by definition can only regulate the license holder which is the bank or nbfc a uh, bank and nbfc when choosing a technology service provider which is called tsp has to make sure that the tsp is compliant and whatever solution the tsp is deploying or putting in cloud is complying with the regulation uh so technically we do not have a uh, uh, you know need to comply with the regulator but sciency has always worked closely or at least been very aware of regulators uh, movement when regulators release something generally we have been able to work with our customers to preempt that in some cases also uh, read the regulation in a way that customers can defend it to the regulator give them written pieces of defense which they can use so i think the impression that has got built also take choices not to for example aadhar e sign uh, till a recent uh, clarification by the government was as per our understanding illegal after the supreme court judgment of 2017 so for a good uh, two and a half years we did not give aadhar e sign to our customers and we lost a lot of customers to competitors because competitors were offering that aadhar e sign uh and we said no we do not believe this is legal uh, a we will not offer to you and b we will also uh, request you not like it's not legal not to use it right and uh, now when it become legal is the first time we have kind of released that product now so we have also taken these choices where even though we are losing revenue we try to always be on the right side of the law so i think because of those things uh, customers have started trusting our judgment over if sciency is probably saying this they would have done their uh, you know background and homework and uh, you know 9 out of 10 times uh, they would be on the right side of compliance and law and that's that's a good thing about having your co-founder uh, as who's your brother uh, who also uh, is a lawyer right uh, yeah yeah he, how do you convince him to uh, you know move to billing tech uh, from being a lawyer no i think personally i think law is very boring so i am sure every lawyer wants to do that i think the question <laughs> is i mean <laughs> would you be good at it if you if you do cross it uh, i i think except criminal law right unless you are fighting sushant singh rajput's case i mean life is very boring so uh, <laughs> I, i i mean come on i i'm sure i'm sure they have better things to do in life than fight that shit <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean but in general things are like for example when you are in investment right and your lawyers who are helping you in dd and they are arguing about finer points i mean it really feels like i mean guys this is not even going to happen like yeah. you are spending days about something which will never happen so yeah i feel 
I mean, I at least feel it's a bit boring. But yeah, I mean, uh, each to his own. But uh, I think more importantly, he once succeeded as a non-lawyer sales guy, right? So I think he had sales, and I think the big thing for us was he succeeded in sales. And now, if we look in hindsight, I think the reason is because our sale needs to be very consultative. Uh, as a lawyer, actually, you're always selling, right? Your but your sale is very different. You never hard sell, right? Lawyers have this thing that people come to you for advice, and you know it's always a pull based sell that you try and establish yourself as a brand, as an expert, and people come to you. I think that's one advantage that I think that training uh, kind of has made mm-hmm. our overall sales as a very pull based sell that we don't try and hard sell you. We don't try and you know shortcut you tell you something which will not be true we always try and you know we are okay with losing that sale as long as we tell you the right thing so i think overall it's built this you know brand and trust today we are able to leverage that you know uh, get productive in sales so i think his big i think achievement has been he's been able to move from lawyer to heading sales and of course i think i'm sure this is far more exciting for him and I'm seeing so many lawyers these days. Like I get profiles from lawyers wanting me to be product managers. <laughs> so I feel that overall, you know, it's like uh, when engineers started becoming, uh, you know, uh, doing non-engineering consulting jobs. Yeah. yeah, I think it's like that. Like lawyers also are going through that, where I think you know lawyers feel that I I can do other things apart from just being a lawyer, even if I pass out from law college. Yeah, I mean the first five ten years of being a lawyer is also hard work. It's it's dog work, right? Um, you don't well at least uh, at least the way the industry is structured, you don't get to do the good stuff until you cross all of that uh, heavy lifting, right? And they really put you to the test by doing that. So I think I, I'm not surprised that a lot of lawyers want to move and, and do other things. Um, but but I think the question was. Uh, you know, when when you're rec- suggesting, uh, you know, like for example, uh, and you're interpreting the law or, or the regulation and so on, uh, that's actually helped you. And 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 I'm guessing your brother, the one probably, uh, you know, who's evaluating the regulation and ensuring that you know you guys are in the right or the wrong, and and also establishing what is the gray area that you can probably, you know, uh, you want to skirt around or not, right? So uh, yeah. Yeah, he's a he's a very good lawyer. So I think the the good thing is that he's able to use those two things combined. Like now he has a very good understanding of technology also. So that combination I think is very very good. Right, like right now the kind of interpretations we do of regulation I think is the best in the industry. Like uh, like recently we interpreted a semi regulation, uh, absolutely correct. And when we told our customers, their legal teams. You know, gave them a uh, a different interpretation, and uh, just recently, Sebi, in a clarification, exactly validated a point. And so, you know, that also helps, right? When you say something, and you know, people disagree, but then the regulator comes in and says, "No, no, this is what I meant." So, I think right. that's really, really good. So, so you had a totally so moment uh, there. Yeah. <laughs> um, with regulation in the last. Uh, I, I believe a year or so we have had uh, three or four major things happen, right? Uh, which is uh, one is the account aggregator piece, which is kind of coming through, uh, and then uh, more recently, uh, Open, which is the Open Credit uh, Enablement Network, etc. Um, and I think now what's coming up is uh, NUE, a new umbrella entity. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of things are happening on the fin side. Uh, how does some of uh, are these going to propel your business uh, further? Uh, are you going to consume a lot of those APIs and then make that available to a lot more people? Uh, how are you guys thinking about it? Does it have any place in regulation, reg tech? Uh, if, if you're boxed into it, um, what's your general sense about some of these APIs that are coming up? Yeah, I think uh, when you are a non-incumbent, right? When you're outside player, then change is good because. If as an organization, right, Oken, okay, let's take an example of Oken, okay, right? So Oken okay would require banks to kind of change their platform, right? right? And once there is this moment of change, then you have a real play. Then you can go and say, you know, I can do this faster than this player you are currently using, and I will give it to you live in three weeks. So change 
till you are uh, you know not an incumbent is good so i think lot of uh, investors and people have always asked me you know this is happening that is happening what will happen to your business and i said actually it's a very simple route till i am very small by definition i will be far more agile my competition is not with another startup i mean that's irrelevant right my uh, you know bank spend over 100 million dollars in technology with current incumbents my real competition is current incumbents right and change for me hence is very good it gives me an opportunity to fight that incumbent so all these things that are happening uh, i mean uh, actually uh, if you look at it even from a very very granular point of view actually become sales campaigns we do sales campaigns around all these changes every time a regulator comes with something we do a sales campaign and we are almost betting on the fact that there will be something and we'll do a sales campaign and we'll lead to the next uh, you know lead flow for our sales team so almost our business model is based on this premise that there will be enough regulatory changes you know in a market to kind of fuel our campaigns and hence fuel our leads so you're saying that these new regulations enable you to sell to more customers or is it that they give you the opportunity to also build you know i mean you have uh, clients who are going to consume it so you also know what to go and build uh, at that point uh, because it's it's kind of a fine line in a way yeah i think i think it's a good question but i think it has a it has a precedent to it i think it, the precedent to it is that in enterprise software business uh how our product roadmap created i think it is a you know product roadmap creation uh, and product management as a as a in fact i'm thinking of writing a book on product management and uh, i i'm going to use the, uh, are you going to use gpt3 to write your pm book no no i am very traditional in fact uh, i don't know if you see this slow interview uh, by nilesh mishra have you seen that no i'm not no you should you should like i think it is a at least for me it is very therapeutic okay it's like so i i am a very uh, this uh, rural village kind of thing right i i try and stay as much away from technology as possible uh, you know have uh, so of course i would write it if it, if if i had the choice probably i'd write it on a piece of paper with a pen and you know then give to someone to um compile it and, yeah that makes yeah. sense <laughs> uh, but yeah sorry, sorry, so i say you want a pen but yeah go for it yeah so so i think product management uh, maybe because it's a very early industry we have not actually broken it down into components right when you talk about engineering you have all these terminology front end back end devops sd2 i mean pm is like apm pm right associate product manager product manager i mean how can you have just two uh, these generic roles for so many different industries so i think one of the things i am now learning is that consumer product roadmap smb product roadmap enterprise product roadmap are actually very different you know ways of building i think in enterprises what i've learned is actually you will have enough time to build something there is no need to be the first to market i mean there is no huge value add of being first to the market uh, of course you may lose business sometimes like we have done couple of times but i think the bigger issue is building things people don't want so in enterprise you can't build small things experiment and then get out and then build something uh, the cost of this experimentation is too high in enterprise software uh, so it makes far more sense uh, to actually build something when there is far more data right so if in consumer maybe that data is 30% and then you experiment maybe in enterprise you start that experiment at 70% data when you have very high surety so i think in some of these things as you said uh, the way it helps is once i am able to figure out a sales campaign is when i start building the product i say okay this makes sense talk to the sales guys okay yeah there are these companies who are competition yes it makes sense for the customer to buy this okay all of this now makes sense let's now build the product so we always first try and figure out okay can there be a sales campaign can i realistically make a sales yeah okay fine Let, i should build this feature so th- so there is some rigor to wanting to put like a checkbox on you know another product they want to build out and of course this this involves also uh, some consider- considerable dev effort uh, especially when you're trying to create for ed tech i'm guessing there's a lot more work involved to also be compliant right uh, and you have hmm. to do 10 other things that need to work 
uh, <laughs> to get approvals uh, the banks actually allow you to go ahead and give you that kind of support yeah no i think yeah exactly like there are a, there are a lot of data points unlike consumer where you know you may not and i think of course 100% means you will build it uh, post uh, units needed but yeah i think you should at least get to 70% like if 30% is consumer maybe 70% uh, data you have before you start building um i mean you should like enterprise software you should not build something and then go out do that sales the cost of that sales is so high like you should never build products unless you are sure customers need them um in enterprise at least that's 100% true uh you guys were part signzi was part of k start um with, you know and in, in the early days um how much how much of a a support were they to you know making the first sales or or you know uh, how was the program in general i think this is from with kalari capital right they ran the program yeah for k start no i think k start uh, uh, now has changed of course uh, but at our time right k start was one of its kind a like for example today your surge and excel matrix everyone are there but i think when k start started it was the first right like you have to give credit to k start over any of these programs they were the first ones to do what all of these uh, you know vcs are following mm-hmm. and at that time it was a very pro uh, you can say uh, educate education of the entrepreneur kind of program right like there were uh, people in the program who were not funded but were taken inside the program uh, they were trying to take away all the uh, hassles of a founder like you know office place uh, legal admin uh, trying to have mentors may have may, may not have worked in the right way but kstart uh, had a huge focus on educating the entrepreneur when they were in inside their programs and i think uh, of course like for us it was instrumental in our journey and um, at that time they used to have a large very large team in helping entrepreneurs grow right so they were investing a lot of uh, i'm sure real salaries and office space so i would always rate k start as very very high one and the second i would rate is google uh, launchpad those two i think were very important programs uh, from a learning education point of view um there are three co-founders um yourself your brother uh, uh, you know arpit right and uh, ankur uh, who yeah. is uh, third co-founder and and both of you actually all three of you have done uh, a startup prior or a business prior um uh, what was the need to want to be a part of this program how uh, what is the thought process to say okay I've, i've done this i've learned i've done the hard yards i've learned what is to run some of these things but you know then then uh, the the importance of an accelerator is that right is saying that if you didn't have that you get a uh, kind of a crash course or a boot camp in being able to get you to the next level was there a certain thought process on wanting to be part of this programs uh, so i think for k start to be honest uh, so for when k start was there we were part of k start because they were funding us as simple as that we didn't choose their office space we didn't uh, go to any of their at least for the first few months we didn't go to any of their sessions um and as you exactly said uh, you know we were the founders that we know it and we don't need to waste time with this uh <laughs> kind of stuff but i think both organizations uh first talking about k start i think k start had really good people like muthaya who i think now is uh, got back to silicon valley i mean he as a person was a great mentor right uh he would listen to your problems he would spend a lot of time he would make genuine real genuine effort uh the person that was assigned to you was genuinely trying to help you uh and was making huge genuine effort uh, of course i think k start uh, we were i think the first or second batch so i think they had not they were still trying to align what is the great you know way to do it and what's the process but they had a good team they had good people running the show when we were there uh google launchpad also very similar we were getting free credits of google worth 100000 <laughs> and we were and we were like oh this is bullshit we should not waste time but they said no if you want it you need to come 
<laughs> and you need to attend uh, you know this in person but i think after the session right after the session uh, and of course we have done more of these right these are two i named we have done more which were waste i can name the ones which which were waste like yes bank accelerator was a waste um then uh, most bank accelerators are waste uh, like not singling them out what what was the point i i mean i think they had good intention um of, of trying to make it easier for them to work with startups i think that was the intent right uh, of course the execution and uh, internal buy in is a completely different story i believe yeah i feel uh, see i have not seen a single good bank accelerator i just feel that model is not right right you're trying to educate a software company how to do things not like the bank is doing right and then you have bankers coming and educating you in that accelerator right it doesn't just i think you know uh, i mean <laughs> i mean it, i i just don't think it fits right like you're trying to create a startup which has non banking like culture right and that is why it adds value and then you have a bank accelerator so i think i mean bank accelerators as a way to get startups uh, do mvps works so i think one of the accelerators that work for us is or i mean it didn't work in terms of business but i thought was good was softgen where i think they were low on gyan and they were high on delivering a mvp and finding a business sponsor i think those work right where you're trying to uh, you know have this uh, sandbox kind of environment in the bank where you can experiment with startups because your usual route of getting vendors is just so challenging that a startup can never break through so i think that sandbox kind of view of accelerators works but uh, accelerators where you try to be google launchpad don't work right google doesn't try to get you as a vendor at all like it's a pure gyan it's a pure pure gyan uh, you know but that gyan is valuable like the thing about google launchpad is it is extremely valuable the reason it's valuable is because of people they choose extremely good people to come to you they spend a lot of money efforts to run that program uh, like people take a week off of their regular work to be with you uh, and right. teach you and in some ways you are wanting to be like google right so all of those tick boxes come together and i think make google launchpad according to me the best program uh, from a uh, education gyan standpoint uh, in the at least what we have gone through well some of these players are a lot more thoughtful about what they doing right i think it's uh, like a google launchpad even a case start what you are saying is that they were a lot more thoughtful in what kind of value they delivering when a startup or a founder is taking time off to want to be a part of a program right because it is a there's an opportunity cost even if it is to cheering someone give gyan for example right yeah. there is a Right, so is it actually valuable? Is it actually going to change the trajectory of this company uh, with that one thing that they learned from that one hour? Right. Uh, I think that's that's probably a lot more important. Uh, you actually spent uh, your science has also worked with Mastercard at some level. Um, yeah. Is that also part of the accelerator? Is that a program that they have as well? Oh yeah, yeah. In fact, I forgot to mention Mastercard Start Path. Yeah, I think. those would be the three in that order right i think case start brought us on the map right uh, made you real in some ways right you had uh, both investors and you had some credibility from employees uh, i think the one that helped us scale from a organization standpoint i think would be google launchpad and i think the program that is helping our global gtm is mastercard start path uh, where mastercard a of course helps you get into so many you know organizations for sure 100% and the second is they are also i think very low on gyan and very practical pragmatic uh, they try and focus far more on uh, you know creating the sandbox like environment and getting you into multiple channels so for that reason i think mastercard start path today of course we have a much much deeper relationship with mastercard beyond start path but yeah credits go to start path they also have a very dedicated team across geographies like we have good relationship with singapore team middle east uh, team and the us team and i think yeah I, they also have spent lot of i think effort money and as you said thought into building start path again i think one of the uh, 
tick boxes like i think google and if if entrepreneurs have to choose i think start path and launch pad is the two they should not miss um did you ever have uh, a kind of a plan to join some of this did you have like a like a very focused plan that these are the programs you want to apply to and get it or uh, because I, i know that a lot of accelerators also reach out and say hey would you like to be a part of our program and you know here is what you need to do to get in yeah i yeah i think uh, we have actually a team who just who just applies everywhere right sometimes we end up applying into places that we don't want to go into and they select us and we have to then kind of say no no i think somebody applied but i think we don't really want to get into a program but uh, so i think we just have this uh, you know team uh, you know pray and uh, like spray and pray kind of thing like you just uh, apply everywhere and then wherever you get selected then you really start choosing uh, and then you spend some bandwidth so i think that is how we do it it's been efficient i think it is also a good hack that you know just get some intern or somebody to just because you are almost saying the same things everywhere right so just get somebody to keep applying at any and every place and you know then spend time once you get selected whether you want to go to this i think you guys should publish that list of programs and uh, write like what is experience next to it <laughs> yeah actually that makes sense now we have a large marketing team and they look for content i think this one good idea <laughs> that's hilarious um you know your mastercard program and you know with your global you mentioned global twice in that uh, you know kind of point um you are now expanding to offering the services beyond uh, india uh where yeah, where we else have, have you focused yeah yeah we already have six customers outside india uh you know three are in uh, the mina region and uh three are in us um and uh, i mean those are the two geographies which we are targeting right uh, from outbound point of view that we are putting a team there we have subsidiaries in both the geographies we have offices in both the geographies uh actively investing apart from that we do get inbound leads and trying to you know create partnership channels in general but i think middle east mena and us are the two again i think uh we have spent a lot of time uh a analyzing data from whether europe is good whether uh, you know southeast asia is good which a lot of people say uh i think finally we have decided uh, and us is of, of course obvious right nobody uh us of course has a pro and a con but i mean you have to try like there's no other option and you need to be prudent about it like you can't be uh you, you know uh, like somebody said like you know just land there on a flight with a dog like you have to have a plan you have to uh, you can not directly go and start doing there and but yeah i mean we understand that like we understand all the negatives people tell us about us and are considering all that data and taking a uh, you know try let's see how how we can do it we have got our first three customers which helps us and you know we'll work on that and grow in us i think mena is a is i think where uh, we have put a lot of thought and i think would be good for you know people to understand that i think uh, one of the biggest reasons we chose mena is because i think dubai is a two and a half hours flight from mumbai it's a very easy easy visa regime like it's a very very like if you have a us visa you can just enter and you can exit uh you have a lot of indians in banks in mina uh and uh there is some you know uh, challenge in terms of language and culture but i think uh, because there are so many indians you won't really feel it right it it is not as big a challenge on the other hand i think southeast asia also there are bankers who are indians but in general there are not as many indians and you would you know face little bit challenge when you work with partners and stuff like that and so every geography then becomes a geography to solve for you like then you go to you know philippines you need to solve for philippines you go to malaysia you need to solve for malaysia um and that becomes quite challenging in our experience and uh, every geography has its unique uh, you know um uh, kind of uh, culture and it's very hard so then i think from a direct sales point of view i think uh, southeast asia is a far more challenging geography and 
southeast asia and all we just you know try and cover through partners is is that because you're saying these are enterprise sales and uh, you know because if they typical saas businesses they have a different mindset right uh, no. here is enterprise sales where you have to crack uh, certain companies uh, enterprise in this case to to have to use your services and it's also as part relationship that's part pricing and then there's part value yeah no no 100% you said the right thing i think in a saas business uh, inbound based sales right i'm looking for hr software you are indian company actually doesn't matter they may not if they may actually end up buying you they may not even know right you are a uh, india based company i think uh, enterprise sales as you would know is very different right you, you have to have touch feel and i think that is where these uh, barriers really start becoming barriers and uh, you know every geography like while the internet and google search is common across the world but of course enterprise sales there is no equivalent you know parallel uh, to generate leads and then you need to go and find a partner for malaysia find a partner for so it becomes far more challenging if your sales relies on a outbound enterprise kind of model oh, how what is the uh, pricing then in this case because then what your uh, i'm guessing you're getting a lot more value outside uh, and which is why you're probably exploring um what is the typical pricing is it like you know uh, because i'm you know i want to be able to charge a saas value fee right when i say every transaction you get x because banks are not going to do that uh, so how do you typically structure these partnerships no i think in india we do charge per transaction um, because uh, i mean we are solving a real problem uh, even globally we are charge- charging per transaction and banks don't mind paying us per transaction because they are only paying us for customer acquisition right they feel a very hard to pay per transaction when you are on the uh, i mean the actual customer life cycle when he's doing payments or he's i mean payments is one industry where because of mastercard visa you know all these models have come up where you have you know transaction fee and so i mean that business model has got locked in uh, but if if there was no mastercard visa i can 100% bet on you none of payment companies in india would have been able to charge anything on a transaction and would have had to you know pay license fee for their payment software uh, sometime back and probably even now banks expect a lot of the products that you create to be on premise right yeah or uh, like in the sense it has to be within the boundary they need to be able to see it uh somebody needs to be able to go check up on it and see if it's working fine has has there been a shift in that thought process are people you know okay to now use the cloud and and use these services and uh not be in their uh premise uh i think yes and no kind of answer i think uh, we do have an on premise version because a lot of customers want on prem and uh, i think that makes uh, you know enterprise software as you were saying an unsexy uh you know lot of parts of enterprise businesses are sexy um at the same time i think uh, banks also are starting to warm up to cloud and cloud providers and i think azure and aws all these have done a good job of mm. convincing the bank right it, i mean it, they also make money but i mean sure yeah. somebody had to go and give those nice looking ppts and you know convince their teams so i think that we are i think in the middle of that transition i think somebody was pointing out on linkedin that you know us they are already very much on aws so i think we are in the middle of it right of course if pentagon can go on cloud right i mean bank can of course also you know be on a cloud infra so i think we have started to be there but uh, you can't say no to be on prem uh, and i think as an enterprise software company that flexibility allows you to be more effective during sales has covid accelerated uh, this whole uh, transition uh, because i mean uh, even having on prem is a cost right you have people uh, who have to be there physically ensuring the servers are running fine uh, and all of that has as now the last 6 months of lockdown and and uh, going uh, you know completely remote Uh, kind of changed uh, some some of the perceptions yeah yeah i think i think exactly i think exactly what you said is right i think the biggest uh, now uh, you know benefit see from a top point of view right let's assume i am the one who has to make a decision and uh, you know azure comes to me and says that you know we should do this but my team tells me no there are these risks that risks that risks uh, and what this the person who is owning this it infra is really fearing is that if actually i take aws 
all these 40 people reporting to me would not be needed uh, my importance would just be that i am you know uh, you know just looking at aws like that's too small right people would say why don't you take four people like people so i think there is this uh, this is one i think issue the second issue is that cloud providers are very expensive right so i think mm-hmm. india is one of the geographies where people cost is very low right so uh, by definition yeah. uh, you know on prem if you buy a server the cost is very very low right. so i think some of the providers like azure and aws they have come up with these three year plans which they are reducing cost and also i think we should find the right price metric also uh, i think lot of india as you would know is very price sensitive right like i mean you can lose your data but you should not pay you know 10% more so yeah. i think uh, 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 that will never go away so i think on premise i think the biggest uh, you know benefactor for them is this view that the price of on premise is lower than cloud is science seeing some of those benefits uh, are you guys getting more business uh, what's what's the the current size now you guys are 200 plus member team uh, few million in revenue no i think we are uh, around one uh, little over 100 people i think i don't i think 104 105 whatever i think people i mean we are adding people literally daily uh, but uh, i think uh, yeah i think the main goal here is like our india business is uh, in a in a and i think you asked that question as well right why go global uh, is it because of price i think india the reason to go global is that the india business from a business standpoint we have the right customers that we wanted and now in some ways uh, i wouldn't say it's an autopilot but i think there is an engine and beyond a point you cannot do anything right like even if things are working it's great if they're not working you need to hire people right you uh, your daily involvement your weekly involvement is neither needed nor is desirable so in that ways i think it has given us the opportunity to be able to focus outside i think more than you know why are we focusing it's i think because india business has become a little bit stable is we have this opportunity and i think before covid hit of course we were very uh, you know focused on this year being that year now of course after covid uh, we have not had the choice to do that and i mean uh, again we are focusing on the india business a little bit more and trying to you know focus here and i think next year once covid hopefully uh, we have something by march is when i think we'll uh, as founders you know start traveling more going after global more awesome market uh, this has been a great chat thanks for sharing uh, all your insights uh, keep doing the great work yeah no yeah. thank you varun thanks for having me it was fun to chat